Welcome to Sex Ed with DB. I'm your host, DB. Let's get into it. We talk a lot about sex education, but when I'm shopping for products to support my sexual wellness, exploration, and expression, I head to the experts at Lion's Den. Lion's Den is an adult retailer with over 50 locations nationwide and hundreds of your favorite brands. They have everything you need to explore and express your sexual side. Right now, you can use code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off your purchase in-store and online at lionsden.com. Follow them on social media at Lions Den Adult on Instagram and TikTok for exclusive offers, deals, and giveaways. Flicking the bean, wanking, self-loving, jilling off, menage moi. All of these are different and very creative ways to say masturbation. For 21 days, I conducted a masturbation experiment with one of my favorite vibes ever, the magic wand. In a nutshell, I wanted to answer one question. What is the impact of daily magic wand use on my health and wellness, as well as my sexual experience when compared to regular sexual activity and no sexual activity? The results surprised me more than I thought they would. Want to see the hypotheses and the results for yourself? Go to sexedwithdb.com slash magic wand experiment to learn more. If you're tired of hearing the same old judgmental, shaming financial advice about buying too many lattes from old white men who conveniently ignore issues like systemic oppression, it's time to join us on Financial Feminist. I'm Tori Dunlap, globally recognized money speaker and educator, and I'm a part of a new guard of financial educators. On Financial Feminist, we don't just talk about money. We talk about the ways women are affected differently by money. We're feminist first, acknowledging that your financial savviness has less to do with your weekly coffee order and everything to do with the fact that we live in a patriarchal society that gatekeeps women, people of color, and other minorities out of conversations and education about money. With fascinating guests like Nadia Okamoto, Maya Vander, Justin Baldoni, Christy Carlson Romano, Queen Herbie, and more, we dive into topics like menstrual justice, the investing gap, diet culture, the psychology of money, and more. Plus, you get bi-weekly how-to episodes like how to start investing or how I saved $100,000 at age 25. We're smashing the patriarchy and getting rich one episode at a time. Subscribe to Financial Feminist wherever you're listening now. So, you're ready to experiment with anal play, but you're not sure where to start. If I were you, I'd start with education and products by a company founded by a doctor who's an expert on anal sex. I'm talking about Future Method. Future Method develops science-backed products and doctor-led education to maximize pleasure, eliminate injury, and empower the way people choose to play in the bedroom. They even have a blog that puts education at the forefront on topics both popular and taboo. Use code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off at futuremethod.com. Let's talk about a lube I absolutely love, Uberlube. Uberlube makes sex better for everyone by reducing friction and increasing pleasure. Whether you're using it for solo sex, sex with a partner, or both, Uberlube has a long-lasting performance that lets skin feel skin. It has simple body and condom-friendly ingredients, is scent and color-free, dissipates when no longer needed so there's no sticky residue, and is recommended by leading doctors. Use code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off at uberlube.com. 
Hello, pals. Welcome back to another episode of Sex Ed with DB. I am so glad that you're here. Thank you so much for tuning in. I love you. You're the best. What the heck are we talking about today? Today, I chat with the amazing Ariel Greenberg, who is a longtime kinkster and the author of her upcoming book, Super Freaks, all about kink and fetishes and BDSM and all these other wonderful things under the kink umbrella. Uh, And in this episode, we talk about specific kinks and fetishes with a positive lens. Uh, I really, really liked that part of the conversation. I'm excited to to see what you think. Um, We talk about great representations of kink in literature and film and music. Uh, We talk about how queerness and kink overlap historically and in the current day. And I even do a kink quiz at the end of the episode. Uh, So I can't wait for you to hear Ariel. But before that, shout out to our sponsors. Go to sexedwithdb.com slash discounts to get 15 to 20% discounts off of my favorite, favorite products and brands that I work with. Please go check them out now uh, if you want new fun toys and kinky items, uh, especially ones that we talk about in today's episode. And I'm very excited to read another incredible review on Apple Podcasts. This one is from Craig MD, who I actually know. So thank you, Craig. Uh, The title is The Ed I Wish I Had for Sex I Wanted to Have. Um, This review is What I Thought Was Safe in College, dot, 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 was definitely not. Now I work on an HIV hotline, and I hope that more people get access to this info earlier in life. Thanks for doing this work. Thank you, Craig. Um, And thank you to everyone else who has been writing reviews. Keep writing them. I might read yours on the podcast. If you want to write a review and rate us five stars, uh, you can screenshot it and DM us on Instagram and you also might win a prize. And now I can't wait for you to hear the kinky conversation between me and Ariel Greenberg. Ariel, hello. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Welcome to Sex Ed with DB. Thanks so much for having me. It's my pleasure. Uh, I was so excited to be uh, reached out to by your folks on your team because you recently wrote a book and I'm very, very excited to use that book as kind of uh, the anchor for us here in this episode and to learn all about kink today. Uh, So I'm really, really grateful that you're here. I think our audience is very kink curious and kink positive. And so I'm sure they would be thrilled just as I am to learn from an expert. Thank you. Um, I hope I am expert enough. I will say that I am I am a researcher really. And uh, the lot, some of this book is personal experience. A lot of it is things I've learned from years in the kink community and, and there's a lot of research as well. So. We love research. We are a science-backed podcast. It is very important to us to have, uh, you know, some rigorous research behind the things that we're talking about here. So that's great. We're, we're really happy to have you. Uh, and why don't we go ahead and get started? Why don't you introduce yourself and tell us what you do and uh, a little bit, you know, maybe you want to share the title of your book and how did you get into this field? Yeah. So my name is Arielle Greenberg. And the field I'm in really is literature. I um, had a, have an MFA in creative writing. I've taught creative writing to undergrad and graduate students for over 20 years. Um, so I'm an academic and I'm a writer. And most of my previous books were poetry or literary nonfiction. 
Um, but this book is nonfiction. I mean, I hope it's still kind of literary um, <laughs> and good to read. Uh, and I think I can't help myself because I was trained as a poet. Um, but it, this is a book, you know, for everybody who's interested in finding out more about kink. It's my book is called Super Freaks, Kink, Pleasure and the Pursuit of Happiness. And um, it has that title for a number of reasons. Uh, one is that um, it's meant to be a really fun book and the chapters are all titled after song lyrics, I'm really into music. And so Super Freaks, of course, is a nod to Rick James. Um, but also this idea of like being freaky in your sexuality can be super, right? It can be really fun and delightful and joyful and nourishing. And also that those of us who have a kinky sexual orientation are sort of like superheroes because we we sometimes have this kind of secret double life and, and superpowers in this way. So the tone of that title, I hope, gives a sense that the book is really upbeat and um, positive and joyful and encouraging other people to sort of celebrate their non-normative sexualities as well. Um, I have written about gender and sex my whole writing career. Uh, definitely identify as a sex-positive feminist. Um, and I edited a series on The Rumpus for a number of years that was um, in which I invited writers who identify as kinky, literary writers, poets, essayists, fiction writers, novelists, erotica writers, um, to write about how their kink, their personal kinks, and their writing practice overlapped, which was a super fun series to Love do. Um, and was great to 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 do ed to edit those. I didn't write one myself, but I, I edited them and I solicited the writers. And uh, my editor at Beacon Press, which puts out Super Freaks, which is putting out Super Freaks, um, invited me, contacted me and said, would you, because she found my, the series on the rumpus and said, would you be interested in writing a nonfiction book about kink? And I jumped at the chance. Absolutely. You said. Yeah. And it was, and then the pandemic hit, I think. And I was so grateful to have this fun project to work on while I couldn't really go to, you know, a lot of kink events and things like that. Um, and I, I can, I consider myself a lifelong fetishist and somebody who's been thinking about this since for as long as I can remember. Um, and I've been a member of kink community, uh, for over a decade. So that's kind of where I come to with this. It's definitely a different kind of project for me. Although my last book of poems was, or two books ago was really dirty, sexy poems about feminist sexual pleasure, women's sexual pleasure, um, women identified people, sexual pleasure, uh, queer people, sexual pleasure, non-monogamy, things like that. But it's poems. And not everybody's going to read poems, let's be honest. I, I'm well aware right. of this fact. Um, <laughs> so I'm really glad for the chance to be able to talk about these subjects in a book that hopefully is a really fun read for folks. Wow. So you have a lot, a lot of different angles here when it comes to being a writer, being someone who edits other folks' work, being a, a longtime kinkster yourself and someone in the community. You have the research, as you mentioned, which I would love to get into a little bit later. I'm sure we will. But I would kind of love to know, like, as a longtime practitioner of kink, right? Like, what has really shifted over the last decades and why, why are these shifts happening? That's a great question. Um, 
I think that basically what's happened is since the rise of the internet, which uh, I am of the age that just as I was kind of coming into my late teens and early 20s, people started having access to the World Wide Webs. Mm-hmm. And um, there was something called alt.sex. Well, alt.sex uh, on Usenet in the very early days, which I was an early adapter of like when I was in college, basically. So um, I've been sort of connecting with other folks around kink since, you know, the early 90s. And what I think happened is, you know, once the, <laughs> as soon as the internet was invented, of course, people started using it for porn or, of like, right, of course. So we're humans. So um, I, that has meant that there is this proliferation of information and resources and erotica and all sorts of things around all kinds of non-normative sexuality that would have previously been really hard to get your hands on, right? So there have long been, maybe always been, uh, underground kinky publications. But um, back in the day, you would have had to go to a city and uh, find that one underground store and go to the back room and ask for the stuff in the paper bags or whatever. And now, of course, you can just Google (laughs) or Uh go on YouTube. So I think that that has meant that a lot more people have the name for, have a name for what they do or what they love um, and also are able to get exposed to a lot more kinds of things. I think that has pros and cons. Um, I think that you know, it's wonderful that there's more conversation, more resources, more naming. Uh, I think that can help people feel a lot less alone and a lot less uh, shamed or embarrassed. Um, but I also think, of course, that some of this material is not appropriate for everybody to get their hands on. Uh, young people um, are identifying as kinky or like being aware of that much earlier. Mm. And, you know, listen, I knew I was kinky from the time I was pre-adolescent. It's not like I would have had to, I didn't stumble across any material that taught me that it was, it's my orientation. It was always in me, but I think for, I'm glad I didn't have access to sort of like really intense porn at that young of an age. Yeah. As a kid. Um, and that I made do with what I had, which was like my imagination, uh, kids cartoons and the dictionary basically. (laughs) (laughs) You're just like getting off to the dictionary. Totally. Uh, I have read many um, and heard like many fetishists talk about literally getting off to the dictionary definition of their wow. thing because that's all they had. So they just look up rope or they look up you know, whatever it is. And then you're like, ooh, um, it's just somebody talking about the it. The original like romance novel is just like reading the dictionary. <laughs> the dictionary definition. Uh, yeah. Merriam Webster. Who knew? Um, but yes. So uh, I think that, you know, it also. Whereas I think in the past, if you were, let's say, really into high heel shoes, you would buy your like little underground pamphlet of just of pictures of high heel shoes. And, and that's, that's it. It was very niche. Um, kink tends to be very niche. And so that's appropriate. But now folks can go to kink events and go online to someplace like VetLife and read about all different kinds of kink and learn about things they may have never heard of or thought of themselves. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's also a lot more people who are like, oh, let me just try this or who are more kind of fluid in what they, how they identify and what they get into because they can be because they they know about these other things. Whereas 
in the past, I think you, you just went after the one thing you knew you were into and that's what you got, you know? Right. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I think like this point about like young people today, specifically like, you know, 11 year olds, 12 year olds who are accessing porn for the first time on average, that is the age in the U S and I think it's really important that we kind of like draw this line where like young people are going to have access to the internet. Like most young people do in this country and in the world. And we need to be teaching them porn literacy. And we need to say like, Hey, this actually isn't appropriate for you. And if you do see these messages, like let's talk about why that some of them are harmful or why this is really important for you to know. And like when you're 18, that is a more appropriate time for you to be accessing that content. And we can say that all, all we want. And like middle schoolers only really care about what other middle schoolers say, right? Like they don't give a shit about like what their parents, they're like, mom, you can shut up now. <laughs> like I never want to hear you speak again. But I think it's important for listeners to like wrestle with this idea that like, yes, it is inappropriate and yes, kids are accessing it. So like, how do we create this like harm reduction approach for youth and at the same time, not make them feel shamed or like embarrassed because as we know, like that sticks with us later in life. And so I'm wondering, you know, for people who are like king positive, right? Like in your book, do you kind of talk about like how messages from adolescence and how experiences from adolescence kind of influence kink and the desire for experimentation with kink later in life. Yeah, that is not a topic that I have covered. I'm my my book is really meant for 18 and up, I would <laughs> right. say. Um, and I am the mother of two kids, two teens, actually. And you know, so what I just say from personal experiences, uh, my 14 year old uh, his computer is in a public space in the house, in the living room where everybody can walk through. It's not in his room. Uh, his older sister's computer is in her room, but, um, you know, she's 18. Uh, and for him, so I walk in and we see, and, and I would say that most of what he's finding that, that like borders aren't inappropriate is by accident. He's searching for a term and he's looking at an image search and mm -hmm. there's like deviant art that's coming up and stuff like that. And, you know, I'm, I'm open with my, I, I talk a lot about sex with my kids. I'm open, um, with my kids about non-monogamy and kink in ways that are age appropriate. And, uh, we just use it as an opportunity to talk about it and ask questions. And I am not averse to walking into the room, seeing what he's looking at and being like, huh, let's talk about better search terms for this so that we get a rid of some of this inappropriate content. Cause that's not really what you're trying to be, you're looking for right now. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we also talk about, you know, unrealistic expectations in porn and uh, damaging messages in porn and, you know, the, what kind of, that there's, there's better quality porn out there and right. more positive and feminist and uh, anti-racist porn out there. And there's not such great porn out there like anything else. And that when the time comes that they are interested in accessing porn or erotica, let's say, um, I am glad to help like give them some tips on finding mm -hmm. stuff that Here's is some links. appropriate yeah <laughs> yeah maybe not so far as links but saying like let's talk about what makes this what would make this you know uh positive and also saying listen most people access porn it's there's mm -hmm. nothing wrong with that and that's okay but it's about finding what stuff that you feel is comfortable for you and that respects 
you know, that is within the realm of respect and consent. Totally. Yeah. Really helpful to have a parent who can speak to this lived experience. Uh, Cause yeah, I think like, I don't know with, with kink and like figuring that out, like, I feel like oftentimes, you know, I haven't necessarily heard what you said before of like, oh, this was like my orientation as like an adolescent, right? Whereas what I think about kink is like when you start seeing media that have that or read, you know, books that have that or, you know, if you meet a partner who like wants to explore that with you like later in life. Um, So yeah, I think that's an interesting way to think about that. I mean, similar to like sexual orientation and like the other like parts that make up your identity, like you often know those parts of you or at least have thought about it or have had like mixed feelings about it from youth. And so that makes sense to me that like those kinds of things uh, would also come up for, for kink. Absolutely. I think especially for those of us who identify as fetishists, um, most people that I, I've I've listened to talk about this say that they can trace this back to early childhood. We're talking pre-sort of, I don't really think of uh, uh, humans as pre-sexual at any time because I think, you know. From we birth to all- death. Yes, right. So, um, but, you know, certainly pre-adolescent, I know that I was having basically the same kind of fantasies I still mostly fantasize about at the age of five, you know, (laughs) six. And I've heard other people with other fetishes talk about that in a similar way. So, yeah, I do think that's a big difference now is that people can sort of like tap in to this thing that they've heard about and be like, oh, that sounds kind of interesting versus... Um, that experience of knowing that you have a sexuality that doesn't quite align with what the culture is telling you you're supposed to have um, from a very early age, which I totally agree. It's completely analogous to identifying or knowing, having some sense that you are queer or trans uh, as, you know, from a very young age. Yeah. And I'm sure like listener, maybe you're thinking like, that's weird for me to think of like a young person, like thinking about kink and like the reality is is like fantasy kind of like doesn't really have limits and like there are all of these things that are impacting us around us and like the idea of thinking about those things versus actually doing them are very different so I want to like make sure that that is very clear to the listener yes no I was not sexually active at all until you know I was like a senior in high school trust me I barely was kissed before then but uh, I had a very active sexual imagination and it was all in my head and um, and I, you know, and it was very uh, in its way wholesome, I guess I would say, like there was mm. no sort of trauma around it or anything like that. And I know that um, I've you know, definitely talked to other kids who identify, who know that they have, you know, a specific kind of attraction or desire from a young age. And I would say, you know, certainly I have many adult friends who talk about knowing that they were, let's say, gay or lesbian when they were five because their parent was saying or, you know, the culture was saying, like, you're supposed to be attracted to this. And they had Mm -hmm. a very clear sense inside of them. If you talk to gay men, especially, I think you will find them almost all of them or many of them will say like, I had these attractions from the time I was very young. And I, you Mm. know, before I was interested in acting on them, but if somebody said like, isn't this woman, you know, like you should have a poster of whoever on your, like Kim Kardashian on your wall. And I was like, I really want Justin Bieber. Like that, that is very clear to you. Right. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) Those crushes and early, early attractions. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And it's really, it's important that like the adults in our lives are like very conscientious about the way that we respond to young people. Like we're going to fuck up and we're going to like not get it right. But I do think that there needs to be some room for parents and caregivers to be like, I don't really know like what to say right now, but I'm just going to put on a good face and like do some research and then maybe come back and maybe I'll consult a therapist or a sex educator or whoever needs to be consulted about this. If you're kind of like, I don't really know what to do with this. And especially with the way in which LGBTQ plus like terms and like language and the way that we think about relationships and being with other people is shifting a lot and like changing. And so I think it's, it's, you know, we don't know what we don't know yet. And I think it's just important that parents and caregivers are like open to like figuring that out with their kid. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Moving along here, we need to get into kink. Um, <laughs> yeah. I would love for you as, you know, uh, a researcher writer of super freaks, you know, to, to talk a little bit about what you chat about in this book. And so one of the first questions that I have here, which is kind of like a three-parter, so take take it what with it what you will. Um, you know, I would love for you to go over the difference between like a kink and a fetish and maybe like define a fetishist. You've used that term a couple of times now. That would be really helpful. And then some sub questions of that are like, what are some of the most common like kinks and fetishes according to research? And then what are maybe some of the least common? And I'm wondering if this least common question is maybe empowering for folks who have this these preferences, or are we like perpetuating stigma by asking that? Or is it maybe like both? So those are all, I'll throw all those at you and see what sticks here. Cool, great. Um, so yes, I think of kink as the umbrella term, sort of like queer is, you know, the current umbrella term for lots of stuff within LGBTQ plus identities. Um, so kink is like the broadest possible umbrella term as it's usually used. And sort of under kink, I think of uh, two sort of subsections. One is BDSM. And that is the most commonly written about and represented um, stuff of kink. But there's a lot of stuff in there. So BDSM, which you've probably gone over before in your show, but uh, it's a really helpful like uh, Swiss Army knife of an acronym because the different letters stand for different things. So B and D is bondage and discipline. Um, so we're talking about things like tying people up with rope or handcuffs and uh, maybe spanking and um, or psychological discipline. DS stands for dominance and submission. So that's power exchange, role play kind of stuff. Um, and most people have heard of, of at least dominance and submission. Um, and then the SM stands for sadism and masochism, which, uh, has to do with in getting erotic pleasure out of receiving or administering pain, quote unquote, or discomfort, or sen- let's say sensory, <laughs> sensory, uh, intense sensory experiences, mm-hmm. because not all sadists or masochists are really interested in like pain per se, and they don't experience it as pain per se, if they're enjoying it necessarily. Um, and then so all that stuff, BDSM covers a lot of, you know, a lot of what goes on within the kink world, or what gets called kinky sexuality. But it doesn't cover fetishes, which are um, and so a fetishist or a fetish is a kind of kinky sexuality in which the focus is on a very particular behavior or object or set of behaviors or relationship between objects that's not usually thought of as erotic by the culture and the context that you're living in, but which has uh, like an almost magical uh, draw for the fetishist. 
So, you know, the idea of a fetish comes from the original, like a folk culture fetish. You know, we think of like a little carved object or something like that, that um, you would put on an altar or carry in your pocket or be buried with. And many of us still, you know, Mm. use fetishes in that way, like a, like a, a rosary, you know, can be a sort of like a fetish object almost, or you, or crystals, you know, in a pouch that you carry where Mm. you feel like, oh, this is protecting me in some way or like giving me power or helping me. Um, and for fetish, like erotic fetishists, uh, well, that's, that's the way we use that term. Um, it's, you know, that can be a shoe or a part of the body or, uh, the Eiffel tower, as I talk about in my book in one chapter. Um, and people really feel this erotic attraction to that. And it can be as, you know, it can be, um, let's say an action like smoking, like there are smoking fetishists where they just really want to watch someone smoke. But so let's just say that again, this is really particular. And so a smoking fetishist, that's a, in the end, that ends up being a really broad category because within that a smoking fetishist might be really into seeing someone smoke a cigar uh, while sitting in like an armchair dressed in a suit and that is their, their smoking wow. fetish. And somebody else might be really attracted to watching someone put their cigarette out with the toe of their combat boot. And those are both smoking fetishists, but they may look for like their, the porn that is good for this guy is not working for that guy because they, what they are attracted to is so specific and different, you know, in the end. And so there's all different kinds of fetishes. And um, the most common one is definitely feet and shoes. I mean, that's the one people have heard about the most. Um, and yeah, I mean, that one <laughs> comes up a lot. I don't, you know, it's hard to the, quote stats on this stuff because of course, most people don't want to really want to talk about what mm-hmm. they're most uh, sexually attracted to if they think it's, you know, odd or unusual. Um, but certainly, you know, if, if like a FetLife search or things like that are, are representations in media are any indication, then sure, shoe and foot fetishes. And they go back a long time. Um, and there's, you know, definitely stuff in history about sh- there are fetish, there are like examples of clearly fetishistic footwear that date back to ancient times, right? In oh, all different wow. kinds of cultures. Um, so... That's probably one of the most common ones. There's also kind of, because uh, related to your question earlier about like what's changed in the last few decades, I think part of what's happened now that people can access more information is that there are kind of uh, kinks that trend, which I don't think used to be a thing. There was no trending Talk talk more about that. What's trending? (laughs) A rope, I would say. At last, when I was, you know, last able to kind of attend events before the pandemic, uh, rope was definitely trending. So it went from being like, yeah, there'd be some rope workshops at events that I would attend to the majority of things would be about <laughs> like rope and, um, and there'd be more vendors of rope and rope equipment and more class, you know, classes about that and more websites and things like that. It just really seemed to kind of, I don't know, capture the imagination of a lot of folks in the community. Hmm. And a lot of different people are, um, certainly experimenting with it. Um, but, you know, historically, I would say sadism and masochism and the actions that go with those spanking, bondage, things like that um, are certainly sort of perennial <laughs> popular kinks. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. In terms of least common, uh, 
I mean, I just think like that, as I just described with the smoking fetishist, like there's lots of uncommon fetishes out there and some of them don't even really have a name or even if they do have a name, like I'm a smoking fetishist. It's like, what does that mean? And there might be nobody else out there that I can find that has my particular set of like parameters and requirements for what makes the ideal fantasy of, you know, of my fetish. Um, And I don't, I don't know that I think that that's, empowering necessarily because I think it can make it quite hard to kind of find a willing partner and Mm. uh you know really describe what you're into uh because even if you say to your partner you know what I have a little bit of a foot fetish they might be like great I want a pedicure give me a pedicure now boy you know and that person might be like no 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 uh I am not submissive and my foot fetish is like, I don't, I don't want to give anybody a pedicure. I like, I like watching people run around with barefoot, stinky, dirty feet, and then like kissing those afterwards. Right. And the person who wanted the pedicure, the partner could be like, um, no, I'm not into that. So anyway, <laughs> you know, all of which is to say, like, I just think the specifics of uh, fetish fetishes um, can make it a little, it can make things a little challenging. Um, and, and, but I don't think that that should, I hope that that doesn't perpetuate stigma. Um, I think, you know, we can talk more about sort of outlets for those kinds of things, but I think that there is hope springs eternal that you can find, if not a willing partner, then maybe, uh, the right erotica for you. So you can at least like explore this in your, in your mind and in your privacy by yourself or, um, what I would say about if you have something and your partner's just like, yeah, no, that's not, I'm not into that. You can, maybe they would be into playing with it by just pretending <laughs> role playing or mm-hmm. telling a story about it, even if they don't enact it. And sometimes that can be just as good because for a lot of kinky folks, the psychology is as important, if not more so than the toys and the props and the actions and all of that stuff. And I think that. That unfortunately sometimes doesn't um, get understood or gets kind of thrown out the window because now we do have access to all these fun toys and props mm-hmm. and a million different kinds of rope. And you can just spend all day looking at rope colors, you know, online or whatever. Um, but you're probably into rope because there's something about the psychology of rope or the dynamic of being tied up or tying somebody else up or walking around with rope underneath your clothing or smelling rope or whatever it is that you're into or being suspended or whatever it is that you're into um that is deeper than the you know that that's about the what's happening in your mind when you're thinking about that let me tell you about one of my favorite pleasure product retailers out there lion's den if you haven't heard about lion's den before i can't wait to tell you about them Lion's Den opened its first retail facility in Columbus, Ohio in 1971. That's right, over 50 years ago. Since then, they've grown to more than 50 outlets throughout the U.S., building their reputation on high-quality products, low prices, and a knowledgeable sales staff who can help you find the perfect toy. One of the many things I love about Lion's Den is that they advocate for a sex-positive perspective on intimacy and sexual well-being and strive to break the stereotypes and stigma surrounding sex by providing comprehensive educational resources to empower everyone to enjoy life to the fullest. They are simply amazing. 
Lucky for you, Lion's Den is giving my listeners an exclusive discount of 15% off your purchase in-store and online with code sexedwithdb at lionsden.com. What are you waiting for? Get your amazing Lion's Den toy now. Here are my top three favorite things I love about Uberlube. Number one, Uberlube makes sex feel a lot more pleasurable. It's as simple yet as powerful as that. Number two, Uberlube is recommended by leading doctors, and its body-friendly ingredient list is widely used by people with sensitivities to lubricants. And number three, Uberlube will not stain clothing or bedding. Any spills can be easily cleaned with detergent and water. Get your bottle of Uberlube now with code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off at uberlube.com. What do you know about pegging? If you've seen that one incredible Broad City episode like the rest of us, you probably know that pegging involves a woman, trans man, or non-binary individual without a penis wearing a strap-on dildo and penetrating their partner who has a penis. But did you know that there are actual benefits of pegging for straight couples? I'll share a few with you from an anal surgeon and booty expert at Future Method. Number one, reaching the full potential of one's orgasms. Prostate orgasms are powerful and can often be felt throughout the body. Number two, becoming closer with your partner and adding new dimensions to your relationships. And number three, learning to be submissive or dominating in a new position can be quite difficult to achieve, but when you can master these sensations, it opens the door to new relationship dynamics. Go to futuremethod.com to check out the expert written guide on pegging, and don't forget to use code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off at checkout for amazing button gut goodies. What if I told you that I did a masturbation experiment with the magic wand and the results were incredible? Don't believe me? Let me share a few things with the class. When using the magic wand every day, I experienced less stress, anxiety, and physical tension. I reported more frequent positive moods when using the magic wand every day, including higher levels of confidence. My level of horniness increased over time when using the magic wand every day. Want to see how else the magic wand impacted me positively? Go to sexedwithdb.com slash magicwandexperiment to learn more. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think there is a lot of interesting pieces here around, okay, like maybe this is something that you like to just think of by yourself. And if you, if that's what you want, then that's great because you have your imagination. And if you want to tell your partner that you're into that, there's a lot of power, I feel like, in description and like talking about things in order to kind of spark the imagination um, it, as kind of maybe like a middle ground if like someone is not interested in maybe acting out literally what the other person is talking about. But however, when you think, when you said the thing about smoking when you first said that I myself was kind of like oh like I don't like cigarettes I think that's gross like I don't like that and then when you said armchair in a suit I immediately thought of Don Draper in Mad Men yes. I was like um yeah I want to fuck Don yeah, Draper like I he's very hot <laughs> that makes sense to me so like you know to your point like maybe people feel like that 
is something only they have ever thought of. But um, people will tell you who are into kink and like people who have researched kink like you. And I read uh, a book for someone last season who was on my podcast called Arousing History of Sex by Rachel Felton. And she has an amazing kink chapter in there. And she mentions that if you um, think that you're the first person to like think about your kink or fetish, someone else in history has done that. (laughs) Like someone else has thought of that and like try not to feel so weird about it. Totally. I mean, really, all you have to do is look on YouTube to have that proven to yourself. Or I mean, Twitter I read it or Tumblr. Yeah, right. I mean, I write about this in the book. But you know, as a, a kid who didn't have access, you know, who should have had and didn't have access to actual porn. Um, there's so much kinky stuff in kids cartoons, because it's just like so fantastic and absurdist. And so, you know, whatever it is you're into, there's probably some cartoon representation of it. And I because of my fetish, I really was turned on by like the scene of Templeton the rat in the cartoon of Charlotte's web overdoing it at the fair because I have like this fetish for hedonistic indulgence in other people. And um, that's pretty freaking weird. Like he's, he's a rat. I hate rats. I'm terrified of rats. I can't watch real rats at all. Like, and um, you know, he's talking about like eating at a fair ground in a, he's singing a musical number. He's played by a clearly gay man. Like the whole thing is just like, what, what, what? Um, And, but if you Google it, you will find many other people being like, Oh my God, the most exciting thing to me was Templeton the Red. <laughs> oh my God. See, other I think people. I found like a thousand hits for something oh like that God. of people talking about like sexy Templeton the Rat, wow. Club, whatever. So, yeah. And I mean, I think the Don Draper example is great because like maybe what that's really about is power or right. like what you're attracted to there is power or authority. And maybe the person who's into people putting cigarettes out with their high heel shoe is in, is actually interested in submission or, mm. you know, in like a, a sense of that, that, um, or there's something sort of nonchalant about that smoker or like taboo because smoking's bad for you and cigarettes are disgusting. And so like that they have the gall to do that is like so naughty and that's what's turn and turn on to them. Um, which might be totally different than the psychology behind the turn on for the, you know, the Don Draper person. Totally. Um, yeah. Speaking of Templeton the Rat, let's talk about media. Um, I wanna, I wanna hear from you as someone who has done a lot of this research and kind of like anecdotally has talked with people and done a lot of thinking and, uh, you know, looking stuff up um, for this book. Like, what are some of the best, most recent representations of kink? Maybe we'll do like one of each if you can think of it. Like one in literature, one in film, maybe one in like either TV or music or something like that. Yeah, I love this topic. My book is really uh, has a lot of pop culture stuff in it because I love pop culture and um, yes, <laughs> and it's and representation matters as we know. And there's so little good representation of BDSM and kink uh, out there. So for a film, I definitely have a recommendation that even most people I talk to deep in the kink community have never heard of and never seen. It's called The Duke of Burgundy. It's um. I can't, it's from the 2000s, but I can't remember how exactly how old it is now. It's a small independent film. Uh, one of the things that's fascinating about it is that there are no men in the film whatsoever. Oh. Only women characters. <laughs> um, and, you know, not to spoil it, but like you'll figure this out pretty quickly. Uh, you, you see what at first seems like maybe an abusive relationship between two women who seem to also be very wealthy and are sort of living in this villa. 
Um, and then you quickly come to realize it's a consensual role, like 24 seven power exchange, DS role play relationship, very deep, deep. It's the, it's a weird film. It's inspired by seventies, soft core Italian horror porn. So it's okay. got this kind of like horror tone to it, but it doesn't actually ever really go there. And, um, and it's got it get it's it feels very like a 70s softcore porn movie. It's like feels very kind of like gauzy and dreamy and sort of cerebral and weird. But it also does actually have a sense of humor about itself, which is pretty subtle and dry. But there's a great scene where the one one the submissive character is basically like ordering the supplies that she wants to act out her fantasy. And you can see how in control the submissive is of like choosing the stuff you know it's not the dominant who goes out and is like oh you you know i'm gonna buy you this this and this so you can we can do this fantasy it's the submissive who's like yeah i want this it's really expensive i'm custom ordering it to exactly to my specifications and there's like a little tension between her and her partner about like i don't know if we should spend this money whatever it's very realistic i think in terms of showing that the dom just because the person is playing the role of the dominant doesn't mean they're actually in charge or in control or steering the relationship. Lots of times that's just the, sub- the person in the submissive role mm. um, because both roles are a kind of elaborate game of pretend. So that movie is, I think, fascinating. Um, and the relationship, the dynamic, the power exchange dynamic is really at the core of the movie. Often, you'll see like there's a dom who like a pro dom who walks on the screen for half a minute, or there's like one scene of blindfolding or something like that. But this movie is about their power exchange relationship. Love so it. yeah. Um, for literature, um, I recommend anthologies edited by Rachel Kramer bustle. She's edited things like the big book of submission, best bondage erotica. And she, you know, goes through submissions and um, different kind of submission. And <laughs> And, uh, you know, finds the best that's out there. And so those books have a really great range. Um, I also love Sinclair Sexsmith as a writer themselves, but also the editor of things like uh, Sweet and Rough, Queer, Kink, Erotica, and, you know, a lot of things sort of in the DS power exchange SM space. Um, I love Lana Del Rey's You Can Be the Boss as a song about a DS relationship it's like, you can be the boss, daddy, you can be the boss. But it's clear in the song, like, she, so she, you know, the singer is like encouraging and attracted to the sort of bad boy persona. But you can see also that she's not like what it means for her to sort of be a submissive is, is again, not passive. You, you can, you can be the boss, daddy. Like I'm giving you permission to enact right. this role. I'm not like you are you. the boss. Yeah. Yeah. Like, because I choose that because I like it. Um, and I love that little subtlety to it. And then I just have to give a shout out because the other day I heard this uh, old song, the 80s new wave song by the band XTC. And I love the song and I've heard it many times, but I never really paid attention to the lyrics. It's called Grass and it's about uh, basically teenagers in love having sex outside, which itself is a little kinky. But also the second line of the song is the way you slap my face just fills me with desire. 
Oh my. I just got a little chills. <laughs> and it's a male singer. And and then the whole song is just about like we flat over and over, we flatten the clover because they're taking a tumble in the grass. Wow. It's so cute and sweet and it's a great song. <laughs> I'm yeah, I'm into that. Yeah. I mean, I think like to your point earlier, like it's hard to have stats on how many people are kinky, right? But I, I just genuinely feel like everyone has a little something that they are like interested in or that they are, you know, focusing on that maybe is a little outside the quote unquote norm. Cause like, what is the norm, right? Like it's being rewritten all the time. Exactly. It's just kind of like a, okay, like more quote unquote vanilla sex. Like people are still having that, but like, who knows what's going on in people's heads? Like, how do we know how kinky (laughs) people are, right? Yeah, absolutely. And as you say, it's totally culturally contextual. So what's kinky to us now might have been like what everybody did in such and such a place and time. Um, You know, we know that at other places and time, certain kinds of things that we think of as like, completely taboo now were commonplace, like, adult men having sex with young boys in ancient Greece, for example, or, you know, foot binding or whatever it is. Um, So yeah, I mean, that what we say, you know, I'm very careful. It's very clear to me. And I hope I make it very clear in my book, like, being queer, for example, is not kinky. It's sexual orientation. But at certain, you know, places and times, sodomy of course like anal sex has been outlawed and still is i think on the books in some places even though we all know now that that is an like the most maybe commonplace kind of sexual activity between two people with penises like yeah (laughs) no big deal um but you know for certain at in certain places in time that was you know absolutely verboten so right yeah yeah i mean i think like it's really important to, to to mention what you just said in terms of, okay, like being queer or having a queer identity doesn't inherently equal kinkiness. And at the same time, I do think folks in the queer community are more readily available to access like kinky conversations and acts. Um, in your book, do you talk at all about kind of the overlap between queerness and the kink community in that way? Yeah, well, I mean, literally, I think there would be no kink community without queer folks, because the places where kink identity was historically formed, and people learned things was through gay bars, leather clubs, leather families, um, you know, just gay neighborhoods, which would uh, historically have shops where you could buy, let's say, like leather, uh, you know, uh, harnesses and things like that. yeah, there, there's, uh, we owe, all of us in the King community owe an enormous debt to uh, our elders in the queer community who fostered that kind of network and connection at a time when that was often illegal and dangerous and you were risking persecution and jail time and things like that. Um, and yeah, there's, so there's, there's, you know, there's wonderful overlap. There's wonderful historical overlap. And, you know, this is a whole other conversation as we uh, were recording this in Pride Month. But, you know, the movement to unfortunately sort of like um, 
I would say, sort of sterilized pride as this like family friendly event that's just like sanitized and corporate sponsors mm-hmm. and all of that and pushes kinky folks to the margins is a huge disservice and not in keeping with uh, our history, the history of pride, which um, from its very beginning was inclusive of and even run by folks who identified as kinky within the gay, specifically gay and and lesbian communities. Totally. Yeah. Really, really important call out. Thank you for saying that. And I, I think that's a good way to put it, like sterilize, like this idea, like kind of like rainbow washing everything (laughs) and just for, you know, whatever capitalistic benefit, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, really, really important. Yeah, call it's out. great that the new pride pride flag, which you know is also more inclusive of trans identities and and, and multiple kinds of gender, uh, also is inclusive of like the kink colors that the leather, specifically leather colors, um, and sometimes like bear community and things like that, which are all sort of like kinks within that were historically like within the gay and lesbian communities. Totally. Uh- in your book, you have a couple of really, really fun quizzes, and I thought it could be really fun uh, to kind of like close us out here on this episode if you can kind of like administer a couple of questions to me live. Um, so listener, while you are hearing me answer, maybe it would help you reflect on your own answer and consider where you're at with kink and your kink journey. Yeah, super fun. So I have a whole quiz about... Um, compatibility with a partner because uh, I think often too often compatibility is thought of just in terms of like uh, libido and what does that even mean like does that mean like how much sex you want to have or how much you masturbate or like or how much desire you just sort of have actively in your body at any given time I don't know like who knows really you know there are there are good definitions about that and Beacon is actually publishing a book about this question but um, but yeah I mean compatibility goes so much is so much more uh, complex and layered than that, especially if you or your partner uh, identifies as kinky, because you're probably not thinking about like, does my fetish match up with this person's, you know, sexual desires. Um, So the, the compatibility quiz starts out with some pretty, you know, kind of vanilla questions and then gets more deeply into uh, kinky questions. But and just the, a note, not to put my partner on blast, he's a completely different human. I'm going to act as if I'm dating myself because, you know, I'm, I'm just going to answer for myself. Um, I yeah. Respect, yeah, my partner's kind of his own life, his own choices as, as to however he would or wouldn't want to say anything. So I'm just going to answer for myself. Absolutely. And I, I, I pulled some questions that I thought would be good for that. So the first one is as a general rule, like I love thinking about this as, um, you know, some dogs are food motivated and some dogs are praise motivated. So Mm. as a human being, um, how sex motivated are you? Like, and like, so, and, 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 and what does that mean to you? Like how much, how important is sex in your life? Yeah, I would, I would say it is important. I wouldn't say it's like the most important thing. I think it's like just as important as other kinds of pieces for myself. So, you know, for example, like physical touch, or I love like 
praise. We can talk about that. Love praise, love <laughs> words of affirmation, um, really love, yeah, like love language, right? Like if we're thinking mm-hmm. about sex as a part of like physical touch, then I definitely find other pieces really important, uh, quality time, access. Like I'm, I'm a huge spectrum of love languages kind of person to give and yeah. receive. So I would say it's important, but not the most important thing to me. Yeah. And so uh, with that in mind, how often, like if you could choose how often you had sex with a partner, how how often would you say that was? It's hard to put a number on it because I feel like it's so dependent on kind of like other things that are going on. But I feel like instead of just like partnered sex, I'm going to frame it as like pleasure in general. Mm. I feel like two times a week feels really good for me where it's just like, a, okay, I'm like dedicating time to this slash like if I feel those like butterfly, like horny feelings in my body and mind, then I want to act on them. So I think like two would be a good number per week. Yeah. And I think that's so useful and interesting because um, I think there's a lot of assumptions about what it means to want sex frequently. And for some people that can mean once a month. And for some people that can mean twice a day and you have to check in, right? Because you don't know what frequently means unless you ask. Right. So I think that's great. And yeah. And of course it's going to depend on a million different factors, but I think um, I have found with partners in my past that they tend to have sort of pretty set cycles. Like I need to have sex about once a month to feel Mm -hmm. like regulated in my body and spirit, or I need to have sex once a week. I need to have sex once a day. Like that really varies. Um, from person to person. Um, okay, what tone do you tend to prefer your sex to have? Do you tend to like it to be more gentle or exciting or um, chatty or mm. serene? Or, you know, because I think also we tend to think about that in terms of a binary of like rough or gentle, but there's so many different tones. I know people who like joking around while they're having mm-hmm. sex. And I like other, I know other people who are like, no, no joking during sex. You know, it has to right. be serious. It's a serious thing. Yeah. yeah. I'm same kind of thing. Like I think I'm not really someone who like wants it a certain way every single time. Like I think like I get a lot of like pleasure and excitement out of like all different kinds of modes, whether that can be chatty, whether that can be kind of like being like in the submissive role or the dominant role or like listening to certain music. Like I think it it really uh, isn't like a stagnant thing for me. It's super kind of like dependent on my feeling in the moment. Yeah. And again, like, I think that would be great. That's a great thing for a partner to know because um, you could end up with a partner, right, who did have a very static notion of like, every time I want to go have sex, I want it to be like tantric and woo with candles Mm -hmm. and chimes or whatever, or, Mm -hmm. you know, something else. And that there, maybe they would need a little help or encouragement to kind of think about a different tone that sex could have, um, that a sexual experience could have. And then let's do one more about that's more about kink. So how do you feel about power dynamic in your dynamics in your erotic life? Like, do you like to have a little bit of power tension and play? Or do you really feel more comfortable with a very egalitarian kind of approach where no one person has more power than the other, which I think as feminists, a lot of us are really trained to think Mm. that we want egalitarian sexual experiences or sexual experiences that 
don't feel ever like they border on playing with things like danger or authority. Um, but of course, that's not true for right. all feminists in terms of what we actually want. <laughs> yeah, I I very much in my everyday life am uh, and, and in the bedroom everywhere I exist am a feminist, uh, and I very much like power dynamic play um, with yeah. my partner and think that it is yeah again not necessarily always like being dominated or the submissive one, you know, it's like a both end kind of thing. And like, maybe sometimes it does feel good to have it equal. Yeah. Like for, for me. And, and that's why I find it really interesting when people just identify as like one or the other. Cause I, that is very much not my experience. Like I really like to run the gamut and the full area of play, but I do really enjoy, um, yeah. Power dynamic play. Yeah, which again, I think is a really good thing for partners to know, because I think also, um, if you are a woman identified person who's um, partnering with a male masculine identified person, um, a lot of really lovely, smart, thoughtful, masculine identified folks out there are understandably concerned that they don't treat a female identified partner with um, anything other than like total respect and, you know, uh, all of the, the good things were, were taught. Um, but that might not be what your partner wants in the bedroom. It's probably what they want everywhere else in life. Like I certainly right. want that everywhere else in life, but um, maybe not as much, you know, in an erotic space. Um, I'm somebody who in my everyday life is like super in control and opinionated mm-hmm. and forceful and uh, responsible and a planner and a mom and, a, you know, a, somebody with a job. And I love in an erotic space to like let go of all that responsibility and be the sort of more submissive role. I almost never want to be in that dominant role because I mm-hmm. feel like it's so much what I do. It's too much already. My, yeah. It's like, yeah, I'm already doing it. Thanks. Right. Got that. <laughs> not, not, not uh, sexy to me. Totally. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's so awesome. Well, I'm so, so glad that you are here and that we had this very, very fun conversation around kink. And as you said, like, this is an umbrella term. Like, if you're someone who's listening and you're interested in learning more about your own kinky journey, definitely check out all the quizzes and all of the uh, information and amazing writing in Super Freaks by Ariel. And I'm wondering, Ariel, if you can share where folk can find you and learn more and read Super Freaks. Yeah, thank you. Um, my I'm on Instagram with my sort of writerly account as Ariel underscore Greenberg. And I'm sure you'll put that in the show notes with the right spelling. Um, and the book is coming out from Beacon Press. So you can go on Beacon's website to read all about the book and you can order it from any place books are sold. Although, of course, we encourage you to go to your local, local independent bookstore. Yes. Do that. Yes. <laughs> Amazing. Awesome. And when when is that? Has that? Uh, it is out August 1st. August 1st. So we have a little bit of time. So maybe can folks pre-order it? They can. They can pre-order it from Beacon. Um, yes. And, or awesome. from your local independent bookstore. They can have it in for you as soon as it comes out. Great. Yeah. Make a little note in your calendar or go pre-order it. Uh, Ariel, thank you so much for being on today. Thank you so much for having me. It's great. Great to talk to you. Our creator, host, and executive producer is me, Danielle Bezalow. Our producer and communications lead is Catherine Cohen. Our associate producer and communications coordinator is Sadie Luigi. Our marketing coordinator is Kate Fiala. Our music theme is by Hook Sounds. 
Thanks so much to our featured guests, partners, and listeners. Want to partner with us? Email us at sexedwithdb at gmail.com. For more sex ed content, follow us on Instagram at sexedwithdbpodcast and on TikTok at sexedwithdb. For exclusive content and to submit an anonymous sex ed question, check out my new podcast on Fridays, Curious Sex Ed, hosted with Mariah Caudillo of Sex Ed Files. Go to buymeacoffee.com slash curiouss sex ed to learn more. See you next time. 